welcome to the Healthy Gospel Church podcast, a podcast where we explore all aspects of church life while also shining a spotlight on good practice. My name is David Meredith, I'll be your host. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you hear, please help these algorithms out and share it as far and wide as you can. Folks, a very warm welcome to our podcast. This is the Healthy Church podcast, previously known as the Generation Podcast, but we are rebranding it. So we're really interested in what constitutes a healthy church, and obviously, healthy Christians make up a healthy uh, church. So we broadcast from Scotland with a Scottish perspective. However, we understand that there is some wisdom south of the border. So today we have a native of our neighbouring country of England uh, who is living in the USA. Not exactly an Englishman in New York, but an Englishman in Chicago. Jonathan, welcome. Uh, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> if you want wisdom from south of the border, you've come, you've come to the wrong person, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's really nice to be on with you. Yeah, rumour has it that you're a Liverpool supporter. I am big Liverpool fan. Yeah, I grew up in Leeds, but um, we stayed with a family for a little while. Well, while my mum was unwell, and their eldest son was a Liverpool uh, fan. Gave a, a shirt to my brother, and so he became a Liverpool fan. And I was young and impressionable, so I too became a Liverpool fan, which has not been the easiest of rides. But the last few years have not been so bad. Well, I'm a Rangers fan, so thank you for Mr. Gerard. You did a yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, did a good <laughs> job for us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's get on. Now, you are the CEO of 10 of those, which is the weirdest name for a book company ever. And <laughs> a branding guy would probably say, no, no, no. Yeah. Tell us a story. How did it all begin? Yeah, well, I think many people would say no to a lot of things of what I try to do. But um, yeah, I was a youth pastor in Northern Ireland and um, began as a bit of a hobby selling Christian books. Um, I'd sold a few when I was at university. I used to run the sort of the book stall for the, for the CU while I was there. So I kind of got into it um, a little bit then and I have family who'd either been involved in books or had written books. My sister used to work for a Christian publisher, these sorts of things. So books were kind of in in our blood a little bit, though as a dyslexic, I've always found reading hard work, but um, yet began selling as a hobby with the desire to get good things um, bought in bulk. And so uh, I started by buying three, three different books. I bought a thousand of each. And I, uh, I just knew by the end of the month, I had to have sold them all because my credit card bill would have been due. So I just sold them in tens and um, emailed everybody I could think of and saying, look, if you buy 10 of these, then uh, you can um, you can get this price. And I think I was doing a book that was, should be seven pounds each and, and I was doing 10 for 20, 20 quid or something. And they'd all gone within the end of the week. And so um, people would be saying, I'll get 10 of those and 10 of those. And uh, yeah, the name stuck. So we when it first started, you had to buy 10. Now you don't have to buy 10, but the more you buy, the cheaper it gets. So the name 10 of those stuck for for good or bad, but uh, it stuck. Can you remember either all three or any one of those uh, first three books that you sold? Yeah, and they were all by Vaughan Roberts, uh, Distinctives, True Worship and Turning Points. I bought a thousand of each and um, maybe I shouldn't tell everyone this, but I bought them at 99p 
and I sold them for two quid. So I doubled my money, though I had to pay shipping as well. So it wasn't quite that, but um, but all 3,000 had gone by the end of the week. Now, I understand this is not your first foray into commercial enterprise. I understand the age eight that you had a little bit of a business going. Tell us about that. Yeah, a little side hustle. Um, um yeah, so I I began sort of um, volunteering though I wasn't not sure I was much help just on a on a farm during the school holidays and um, I began to get the bug for um, for farming. So I just spoke to a, a local guy who had some land and I said, look, if I came and rented some of your field, um, could I get some chickens and some goats? And we negotiated and I paid him eight, eight pounds a month. And I had, um, 20 or so chickens and a couple of goats. The goats were just for fun. I think they ended up in a curry somewhere, but, um, the chickens then provided me with, um, with a little business, uh, to sell eggs to, um, our neighbors and the old ladies at church who felt sorry for me. Even some school teachers bought some eggs. And, uh, so I called it cracking eggs and and uh, yeah, turned over a decent bit of money for an eight-year-old. It was uh, it was good. Not sure where that was spent, but um, yeah, it's fun. Okay, now we're told that we live in a, a non-literate society. Folk are into YouTube clips. Um, we are told that folk are not reading. So, I mean, you've got a couple of barriers. Let's talk even about non-Christians just now. I know that your main passion is to get books out there for non-Christians. So how, how do you react when folk are saying that the culture, that the market really runs, you know, counter to what your aims are? Um, so I think we have to listen to it a, a little bit. Yeah, I think certainly the the younger generation, TikTok, YouTube, et cetera, there are different um, uh, mediums of communication that we should not ignore. But equally, there is something about the book which I just cannot explain but uh, it's very, very um, hard to beat. I'm not sure you can beat the physical opening up of, of pages that, um, you know, just whatever digital form has come along, it's never trumped it. You know, that we were told audiobooks would trump it. We were to told Kindle um, uh, would trump it. Just, it just hasn't. Um, and so um, people are reading. Um, I think they're perhaps not reading in the same um, length at one time. So it's becoming snappier and shorter. Um, but books can do that. But neither do we want to dumb down either. Um, I keep coming back to things like um, Harry Potter and whatever, which kids just gobble up so that it's not that they're not reading i think we've got to just find a connection that grabs them and i often say when parents say oh how do i get you know little johnny reading more well what interests him what what grabs him and i think as christians we need to think well what what's grabbing people what's interesting people and connect with them and that may be a connection to then talk about the things that we want to talk about or it may be that okay if I love biography, for example, and well, I can learn so much of about the Christian life, Christian discipline, what good theology looks like being lived out by reading these books. And so as, as Christians, I think we need to look to say, well, okay, what is it that that the Lord has given us a passion for? Well, now let's read um, good theology, good uh, books that are going to um, uh, hold to the Bible, 
on those themes. And then that may actually in turn allow us to, to grow in our reading and our, our desire and also the, the breadth that, that we read. I think when it comes to non-Christians and reaching out to them, a lot of it is down to good communication. And if we can do good communication on the written page, the written page actually works in ways that the digital can't. I, I've never given my next door neighbor an ebook, but I have given them a physical book. And so the physical allows us to do some things that digital can't. Yeah. Yeah, that was really interesting. Now, I was brought up in the 60s and, and, and 70s, and there were very few Christian books in, you know, uh, kind of in terms of fiction, there was across the spiritual plate, everyone read that. Brother yeah. Andrew God Smuggler, um, in terms of theology, J.I. Packer, Knowing God, uh, and then you did, you know, the banner stuff, kind of Puritans. There was a, an awful lot about. These days, I think there's the opposite problem. Yeah. Everybody's got a book. Um, is this a good thing or a bad thing, Jonathan? Just the sheer volume yeah. of material out there. Um, well, I say this as, as a group that publishes books, so is contributing to the problem, uh, perhaps, but I do think it is a problem. I said to a, a colleague the other day, I think when we're sent, you know, we're sent a new, um, new cycles from publishers of what they're doing in this next little quarter, I actually find it more depressing these days than exciting. There are titles in there that are good and exciting. I'm glad we've got new titles. You know, if we hadn't have had anything in the last 10 years, what are the sort of gems that we'd have missed? We'd have missed some gems, absolutely. But there is, there is a great noise out there, which means actually the more noise there is, the less is actually being heard. Um, my last estimate was that around 500 new Christian books are published every month. Ooh. It's just far too many. And we can't cope with it. We do need, we need diversity. We don't want to, sort of um, to, to be so narrow um, that we've just become the same sort of production line of, of people. But there is far, far too much. It is very easy to publish a book today. It is harder than ever before to publish, uh, to, to, sorry, to sell a book because there's just so much out there. Yeah. Well, market forces not, you know, make it right and balance out. You know, most of that stuff wouldn't sell. No, no. And I mean, there's a lot of the sort of self-publishing stuff that people have a, a nice idea or they're told, oh, you should write that. Well, to be honest, actually, most people shouldn't write, I'm afraid. It's a bit like, you know, with preaching, it's a special gift. It's, you know, not everybody is called to be a preacher and that's a good thing. Um, now, everyone wants to be communicating and, and sharing truth, but not everyone should be an author. And um, and I think, you know, I hold my hands up. There's, there's things that we've done for whatever reason that we kind of think, actually, probably shouldn't have published that. And um, and we've now moved it out of print and these sorts of things. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff. It also, the volume... This this may sound odd, but the volume pushes the price up because the sales are diluted. You need to re um, receive more income from each one, which is also a, a negative thing. I mean, some of the prices of books at the moment, I think, are um, I've got to be careful whether I use the word criminal, but that's the word I'd like to use. But uh, yeah. OK, let's talk a little bit about your own publishing uh, idea. I think one of the first books you did, it may even have been the first, 
is uh, is, is uh, the the freedom of self forgetfulness by by yeah. Kumar. Yeah. Um, to me, that's a phenomenal. Book. I I think, frankly, that's one of the best books on the market. I mean, I'm, I'm sounding like like you here. Um, tell us the story of that book and how it fitted in with your philosophy. Yeah, God was very kind and he's used that book in my own life. I uh, I know it's quite easy to say, oh, this changed my life or that changed my life. But this little, the content of this little book changed my Christian life. Um, I was going through a very dark period um, and it was a prolonged period. And somebody sent me um, a link to this sermon of Tim Keller um, preaching. It was called Blessed Self-Forgetfulness. And I uh, just, it was to really um, change change my Christian life and the beginning of a of coming out of of that darkest time at, at that point. Um, I I listened to it three or four times uh, in a in a row, and then I thought, you know, more people should get this. How do we get it out? So I sent an email to the just the generic redeemer. I think it was info at redeemerchurch.com or whatever it was. And I said, oh, you know, I've listened to this. Could we just put it together as a little sort of booklet thing? And uh, within 24 hours or so, they'd agreed. It then took a further two and a bit years, I think, for actually the contracts all to be signed. It was complicated, but we we got there and um, God's been very good. We've sold over 600,000 now. And it's just a little, it's a 48 page book. We sell it for uh, a pound in the, in the UK. And uh, um, and yeah, it's uh, it's just won a, a, an award in um, for for its volume and uh, and these sorts of things. I just think God's been very good on, on, on using it. But this idea of actually we there's freedom in Christ that we we don't need to look left and think, oh, well, I'm better than them. I'm doing well. Or oh, I'm not as good as them over there. I'm, I'm doing badly. Actually, in Christ, we've been to court. Judgment's been passed and we've been declared free. And uh, yeah, his his um, his teaching on the ego in that book has has just been brilliant. He um, He says at one point, you know, when your body is working well, you never think about it. So even, even given your elbow, no thought today because your elbow is just working fine, but you whack your elbow somewhere and, oh, it just, that's all you can think of. Well, your ego is a bit like that. Your ego is, let's see if I can remember it. It is, it's broken, it's painful, it's busy and it's empty. And as a result, we're always kind of feeding our egos, trying to sort our ego out. Again, he gives an, an illustration of his mum when he was young saying, join the chess club, it'll be really good for your CV. And we're always trying to sort of, he had no interest in chess, but it's always good for your CV. And we, we're always trying to build our sort of, and actually he's saying now in Christ, there's total freedom. I've, that, that has been life-giving to me, that book really has so uh, go back just a a little bit about you i mean um you're john carswell the carswell name is famous in the uk son of roger carswell was on a podcast uh, when we were working under generation with with your dad your dad's a legend you know he just (laughs) you know you 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 prick him and he oozes gospel and evangelism yeah um how difficult was it to to be brought up by a guy who was basically away, I guess, yeah. a lot of, yeah. of, of times. There were definitely costs to it. Um, but I think at the time, don't 
you know, that's just normal. It was, you know, that's, uh, I knew no different. Dad, um, when I was born, went full time as an itinerant evangelist and was away. You were born. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Quick, get out. I think that was his thing. He was doing it before, really. He was um, um, a head of RE and then at the weekends and then in the evenings was doing it, but went full-time, living by faith, so the year I was born. And so that's all I'd known, uh, all, all I have known the whole time. There were definitely hard times, um, both the living by faith side of things. I, I distinctly remember mum saying, that is the last meal in the freezer. Um, but God provided. And so that, that was interesting. Um, but also, you know, he was away a, a lot of the year, you know, two, three weeks at a time back for three, four days and away again. Um, but there were great perks from that. You know, he always came back with great stories and, uh, and interesting times. People looked out for us, um, in ways that perhaps if dad was doing a, a sort of, a uh, normal job, if I can put it like that, they might not have done. We met amazing people, um, but it was hard. And um, uh, I think, though, to both my mum and my dad's credit, you know, mum is a real prayer. And my 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 lasting thing of of mum will be, I would come down for school at seven each morning, and she was um, reading a Bible. Um, with a cup of of tea in her hand and uh, and praying without without fail every day, uh, so we had a, a mum who was praying and uh, and a dad who we knew he loved two things well three things he loved the Lord he loved the lost and he loved us every day when he was away he would write a postcard to all four children when we were in the same location it was a shared card when. Um, siblings, elder siblings went off to university or whatever. He would write four separate postcards every day that he was away. And that, you know, that's, um, that's a big effort. And uh, so we knew he loved us. But uh, yeah, like anything, I, I don't think it's any different from the nurse or the fireman who worked shifts and, and uh, you know, whatever role there's, there's yeah. cost. But, um, but God was very kind to us. And uh, yeah. Is there a sense then that you know you guys were brought up with really squashed egos? You know that other folk mattered more. It was ministry. It was service. Ministry is the family business. There's almost this culture saying, "Guys, this is what we do. This is what we are." You know, if if you're a Getty, you you sell art. You know, uh, you know, if you're a Carswell, you're into the the gospel. Is a truth in that? Yeah, I think, you know, like you say, you cut dad wherever and he oozes evangelism. He can't help um, but but share of all that um, the gospel is. And a bit like the apostles, you know, Acts 4, we can't help but speak of all that we've um, seen and heard. Um, there's times where that's that's hard, either because it's a bit embarrassing uh, you know, when you're a kid and, you know, dad picks you up from school, you kind of dread it a little bit because you think, well, what kind of conversation is he going to try and get into? Um, I'm incredibly proud of of dad's passion for um, for the gospel. Um, I, I can picture dad on multiple occasions um, crying over the plight of people who don't know Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. That is that is powerful. And I respect that, um, but it wasn't always easy. It, it must have been embarrassing sometimes, not even a conversation with you, but 
you know, Dad, can you not even just buy a McDonald's without a gospel conversation? <laughs> He's giving tracks everywhere. That's his thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he loves tracks. Yeah, yeah, he, d- he does. Yeah, um, yeah, I, and it definitely was embarrassing. At school, I would make up other jobs that Dad did. I just had to remember what I told people because I didn't want to tell him, tell my friends that he worked for the church. It was, yeah, so it's, um, but uh, that says more about me than him. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, evangelism mission to to what extent do you see 10 of those as being a business and a ministry and and to what extent uh, or, or proportion is it books to build up the faithful as opposed to evangelistic uh, literature have you got yeah great great question so on the business side of things we are a business we um we try and report as much profit as we can um, and we pay our tax on it, but um, we want to make profit so that we can then fund ministry. It's not uh, it's not paying for for private holidays or anything. We we have this uh, line that we are in business to do ministry. So the ministry is our driver. That's that's our goal. But we need to be in business to do it. So we don't. Um, uh, we, we're not asking for donations. We were often asked, "Oh, do you have kind of a, a backer, financial backer?" No, we don't. It was it started with my credit card, and I just knew how to pay it by the end of the month, and that that's how we worked. We don't we don't have backers like that, um, but it does mean sure. So we need to be in business, but we will make some decisions that are bad business, but they're good for ministry because that's ultimately what we're seeking to do. But you can't make too many of those, otherwise you've no ministry left. So that's our balance. In terms of evangelism versus building up the church, discipleship, well, both, um, because uh, if you have a, a weak or immature church, then they're not going to evangelize. So we do want we want the church to be built up, to be, uh, to be growing in their faith, but people who are growing in their faith will also be um, sharing their faith. And so we want to help equip. I'm in the States, as you mentioned. I think it is um, one of the huge problems the um, the church have over here is that of all the publishing outfits that they have here, which there are many, um, Crossway, Zondervan, Baker, et cetera, et cetera, not one of them has a commitment to be regularly publishing evangelistic books. Not one of them. With all the money and the, the books that they're publishing, um, the closest you perhaps get is um, is Crossway, who have a tract department, but many of those tracts now are not evangelistic, they're for the church. To get evangelistic books, you then have to go overseas to either Matthias Media, to the Good Book Company, or, or perhaps ourselves. So I, I think that that needs to change. We have a, a huge and never-ending mission field, and we need lots of lots of resources and materials to go uh, to them. I just see them as little seeds that let's scatter as many as we can and pray that, well, yeah, some will fall on the path, but many hopefully will land on good soil and produce fruit. Um, so if you, if I could only have one element of what we publish, it would be the evangelistic side of things, not because it's commercially necessarily that, that good for us, but if we're not doing it, who else is going to, like I say, there are a couple of others that, but who's regularly producing evangelistic material, um, that connects and we're doing it because 
I don't think there are many others that are. Yeah. So is the weight of your publishing arm evangelistic stuff? Yes, um, we do a few things. We do some things for kids because that in itself can be evangelistic, not just for the kids, but for the parents. Um, small books like The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness that we mentioned, um, particularly helping um, non-readers or new readers and biography because that's another area that I feel very passionate about. Uh, we need to keep having good biography because it shows what a what a life dedicated to the Lord uh, can can be used for when he takes hold of it like that. So there there are areas we recently acquired the um, uh, evangelical press. So we're doing um, some things for pastors and and preachers and ministers through that series. But from a ten publishing point of view, a huge chunk of what we're doing is evangelistic. That's low cost that people can give away 10, 20, 50 copies and not be thinking, ah, just can't afford it. Um, now, uh, in, in the Free Church of Scotland, we run lots of summer camps. Um, yeah. we're, we're picking up again after COVID. Uh, I, I guess EMW are still doing stuff down in Wales, yeah. Scripture Union stuff. Uh, what's the best way you guys can resource that? Yeah, so there are kind of three main ways. Um, one, we can provide your camp with a, a bookstore that is, is low-cost, um, and we provide you with a, a sort of a big bundle that will work for your camp. Um, we um, we have a firm sale option where if you just want to buy it, you get it, I think, pretty much at a pound a book. Um, there's then a sale or return option for different ages. So if you, yeah, you don't, you're not sure kind of what sales will be and you don't want to be left with something at the end, you can do that. And again, you, you're going to be saving sort of um, 40, 50 uh, 60% on that, or you can curate your own, it, it, which is with with discount, et cetera, and, and returnable. Our, our big passion with camps is, um, again, it doesn't make us very much money, but if we can get 13, 14, 15-year-olds either engaging with the gospel for the first time or beginning their Christian life as readers – I just, I, we cannot underestimate the value of reading good theology, good Christian life lived out as a, as a regular disciplined habit of the Christian life. The impact that that has over 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, you, you know it yourself, the books that have shaped and disciplined and discipled, they're so valuable. Well, can we get our teenagers trained early on that because if if we can do it early they will grow and develop uh as as their christian life goes on yeah so it's, it's really good that camps have always got this book ministry uh, behind them moving on to something else i mean you guys i think are, are quite discerning in, in what you sell you will not sell you yeah. know if i want to buy a joe Osteen, yeah probably wouldn't get it from you or creflo dollar or no. steve, steve chalk yeah. Are, you, are you ever tempted because, the, you know, these are, are big, big bucks? Yeah. Um, no, um, uh, I don't think we are tempted. I think the, the difficult ones are, are those that are sort of a bit more marginal or or kind of the author has some good stuff, but some bad stuff. Um, uh, I don't know whether it's helpful to give an example, but like well, N.T. Wright. You know, like N.T. Wright, he's a yes. great book on the resurrection. Yeah. He's maybe not great on, on justification. Exactly. So, would you say we just don't do any of that then? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, N.T. Wright is kind of this, you know, I think his stuff 
on the Gospels is brilliant. His little commentaries, yeah. Yeah, just so helpful. And yet there's a breadcrumb effect as well of, oh, well, I read his stuff on the Gospels. Now I'm going to read his stuff on justification. And so we, we on the whole, don't, they, on the resurrection, the, um, uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called, Hope, uh, Hope Reborn. And uh, we do actually sell that one. It's a more academic one. And, but yeah, generally, otherwise we're, we're not selling his stuff. It's difficult. What we want to do is we want to curate, a, picking the best from across the publishers to say, look, we know this holds the Bible. It points to Jesus. That's our benchmark. And yet we could make a quick bit of money by selling other stuff. But ultimately, salespeople can sell what they really believe in. And so I want to sell what I really believe in. So every book uh, on our website is something that we feel, look, we're happy to sell this. We believe in it. We're passionate about it. And as a result, that's why we sell it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, what what's selling well? I mean, back in the day, you know, when I was a lad, uh, you know, John, John Stott, for example, so someone yeah. said that John Stott is probably one of the few guys Whoever made serious money through writing and he, he gave it all away. Maybe Parker yep. was exactly the same. Um, what was what's selling just now? Is, yep. is, is it Keller? Who, who's 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 the big boy? Yeah. Um, I mean, the runaway for the last um, eighteen months or so has been gentle and lowly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there are over a million copies sold now, which for a book of um, that's only been out that length uh, is is really quite remarkable. I think there is a slight danger in the UK of the things that sell are, are coming from the states, which isn't always great, um, either because. Um, the theology is not great, or the just the uh, the context uh, is uh, and, and culture is very different. And so um, I, there are some, you know, things like God's Big Picture by Vaughan Roberts yeah. just continually sells hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and we're one seller of many. Um, so there are things like that. John Stott, I think, has, has slowed since his death. Though it's interesting, I think in sort of 20, 30 years' time, that will probably pick up again. There does seem to be uh, that that cycle. I think there's a growing volume of um, of resources for families, and that that is that's a good thing. Um, we need we need more for for families. With there's a, a big missing chunk though for teenagers. Um, I think other things that are um, are selling Andrew Wilson, I think is very good. Um, uh, and his writing, Jen Wilkin is another where um, sell a lot of her stuff. So th there are good younger um, theologians, I guess, um, coming through that are selling, um, selling a lot. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit, a little controversial. You're now living in the USA, right? There's, there's a lot of, over here, a lot of our great folk are just moving to the USA. It's a bit like, you know, when when Bob Dylan went electric, you know, Judas. Um, <laughs> was that a difficult move for you to make? You know, how how do you feel about it? I mean, no, no guilt or anything. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've been called similar things um, and uh, sometimes by family members. So um, <laughs> the reason we've come to the States uh, is, is three things um, to try and help a broader um, 
range of reading. So not just pastors, but the whole church family. So that's a big thing that we do. And we do that by visiting churches, by taking pop-up bookstores to churches. So getting them to read. We talked about the evangelistic stuff. There is, you know, there's barely any evangelism through literature happening in the U.S., and you look at the evangelistic books that are available. You've got things like The Reason for God, The Case for Christ, both been out over a decade each. You get the occasional something from, from a crossway or a, um, but very little focus. In, in the UK, I think we're pretty good at giving away books at a carol service or an Easter service. Doesn't even, I mean, the church we go to doesn't even have a carol service. So evangelism is not on their radar. So that was one thing. And then the, the uh, final thing is really we want the American church, whether they realize it or not, but to be funding um, distribution of resources in, in other places uh, around the world. So, for example, we've, we've just done a, a translation of an evangelistic book into Armenian, um, the country, rather than the theological position. And um, uh, and that was paid for really by American customers because they, they, they're buying and then we were able to, to write a check to this church in, in Armenia. So they're the three reasons we're here. Um, and I might, oh, can I say this? I, I won't say which chain it is, but something for your listeners to pray about. We are working with a fast food chain in the US that give away a book to children in their sort of equivalent of a Happy Meal. And we are working with them to see whether they might uh, give away at Christmas uh, a the, the Christmas story, but, you know, very clearly the the the, the gospel story. We are we're close to it happening, and it could be millions of, of books. That's the reason we're to to try, try and push these sorts of things happening in the states. That's why we're here. But I do kind of I appreciate you know it. It can seem like it's very glamorous and uh, and nice coming over here. There are some some things that are nicer. There are some things that are a lot harder as well. I think wherever you are, ministry is not easy. It's yeah. like a variation in that line you used to churn out in conferences. You know, you do stuff in Scotland, north of England, you'd say, yeah, I sell it expensive down south because I can sell it keep up north. So yeah, yeah. Everyone, everyone thinks we're joking when we say it. And I don't know why people laugh, but we do. We overcharge other people and it all balances out. You just don't want to be the one we're overcharging. So uh. <laughs> the new line is we're really, you know, Americans are paying for it all, but you guys are paying. I know, that's right. But, Let's hope nobody in America is listening to this. But <laughs> So you spoke about biography. I mean, when I'm asked, you know, what's my favourite movie, I can never think it out. Um, yeah. I want to ask you, what are the, the favourite books that you've ever read? I'll ask you in a little minute what you're reading right now, so you can yeah. think about that. Um, but the big books have made an impact in your life. Yeah. Um, the first Christian book I ever read was A Man in Christ by Roger Steer, the biography of Hudson Taylor. Wow. The uh, Chinese names were a, a bit of a handful for me uh, as a dyslexic, but that that really got me going in reading biography. It helped. He, he came from Yorkshire, so um, I, I instantly liked him. But biography have ha has had a massive impact. Evidence not seen, the uh, story of Darlene Dibler-Rose, the hiding place. You know, there's, there's a line, I come back to it over and over again, where Curry uh, and Betsy, they're in the concentration camp, um, uh, in Ravensbrück um, during the Second World War and Corrie turns to Betsy and says, I can't go on. And she she replies, Corrie, 
There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Biography teaches you lived out theology like that. Um, Helen Rosevere had the privilege of, um, she she um, did Bible studies with me for about 18 months when I lived in Northern Ireland. So her, give me this mountain, he gave us a valley, that, that double set. Um, she she's taught me so much and um yeah so biography like that i think um books um i mentioned freedom the little one what the bible's all about by henrietta mears is is a gem um very helpful book and i think i can see just behind your right ear jc ryle's seven volume set on the gospels yeah outstanding um i i i really really love that and then if i can have one more um the thing I've found most helpful in my daily Bible readings over the years, I, I need to chop and change all the time because of my attention spans terrible. So, um, but Warren Wiersbe's with the word where he goes through every chapter of the Bible and just gives you kind of 10, 15 lines on that chapter. Um, that, that has been a, a real, um, a real gift for my Bible reading. So there'd be a few of my favorite books. Yeah. And, yeah. and what, what have you got beside the bed just now? Yeah, my, part of my problem is I've got so so many. Um, I'm reading Kelly Capic's um, "You're Only Human" um, on our um, fallibility and um, uh, and and how that's a good thing. Basically, um, how being we're created in the image of God, and yet we need to we need to sleep, we get things wrong, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and and why that's a good thing. I'm re I'm reading that at the moment. Um, just read a biography that's out of print, so people have to get it on eBay. Called um, oh, it's uh, to the beat of a different drum. I think it's called. It's the story of Pauline Hamilton, who was uh, a missionary with China in the mission. Um, that is a page turner. I really, really enjoyed that. And then I've just finished um, Surprised by Jesus by um, um, Dane Ortland. I've actually read that now twice. I, I found it even better the second time. So, um, yeah, they're, they're kind of current things. I'm dipping in all the time. I don't know if you're like this. Can you know, I'll read a couple of chapters and I'll go to something else and then I'll perhaps come back. So I'm not very disciplined like that. But, um, yeah, there's, there's a few of what I'm doing. No, here's a, a little bit perhaps controversy, you know, as I travel about, uh, a lot of churches have got libraries. Generally speaking, I find them to be terrible. They're never used. They're full of books. Nobody ever uses a church library. Now, our listeners will probably, yeah, da, 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 da. so by and large, 99% of church libraries are awful. Um, how should a local church engage with books? Yeah. Should it have a regular bookstall to get books into houses? Um, can a library be run well? Uh, I mean, my, I think you're better selling a book than, than using a library, but, you know, push back yeah. to me there. No, I agree. I think um, libraries are pretty common over here in churches, um, and most of them, are, they, you think, why... Why is this church, which is holding to the Bible, preaching God's word, and yet you're very happy having heresy on your library bookshelf? Why have you not? Anyway, I will leave that for now. But um, for churches, there's a few things. I mean, in terms of the practicalities of how you can get books out, I've got a few ideas which I can give. But fundamentally, I would say more important than that, as a as a leadership team, as a pastor, as elders, as, as a women's worker, a youth worker, whoever it is, are you modeling it? Are you reading? 
because that is the best way to get the rest of your church reading. If you're modeling it, they know that you're reading, you're quoting from books, you're recommending certain authors, certain publishers, whatever it is you're, you're quoting from in your sermons that will pass on. We know when we go to a church to do a pop-up bookstore, whether the minister reads books or not, because the congregation read if he reads, um, uh, th there's practical ways of doing pop-up bookstores or, you know, uh, a, a book of the month and these sorts of things. And I'd encourage you to, to do those as churches, but fundamentally I'd ask a few questions. Are you as leaders reading? Are you as leaders recommending books? And are you as leaders thinking, how can you promote reading and give away books? Let me just focus on that last bit. So for example, do you as a minister, do you as a church worker or a mums and tots leader, do you ever say, hey, I've just read this great book on the promise that you read it, I'd love to give it to the first hand up. Do it. Because that not only demonstrates we should be reading and what we should be reading, but is it then encouraging other people to, to be reading? Um, then also be thinking, okay, well, do we give books away? So do we read something together as a church family, uh, maybe for, for Advent or as a, okay, this summer we're going to read Anne Judson by Sharon James, the story of, of Anne Judson, the missionary to Burma. We're going to read it together as a church family. And, and the first week back in September, we'll, have a, we'll get together and discuss it after church, that sort of thing. I don't know. But then also giving away, do you run a kid's club? give a book away on their birthday? Do you run a summer camp or a, a, a summer um, holiday club? On the final day, give every child a book. That is a little seed that's going back into the family. And then when little Johnny gets back home and he says, dad, would you read this? Suddenly dad is hearing the gospel. Evangelistically, do you give something away at the end of each service? Or, or if, you know, on, a, on your Sunday services, if you're a guest here, we'd love to give you a Bible or we'd love to give you a copy of, I don't know, Real Lives or Grilla Crypt, you know, whatever. Demonstrate it. Are you giving books away? I think as churches, there's different models of what you could do, whether you have your own bookstore, you invite us to bring a bookstore to your church once a year. There's churches that do book Sundays. But if it's being modeled, if you're finding ways to give away uh, and you're giving away evangelistically, they're the three main ways I think that churches can be using books. Yeah, I mean, one of the big things when I was a senior minister in Inverness at Smithton, we yeah. had, um, we, we bought maybe two, three hundred books, fairly large co congregation. So we bought them off you guys, yeah. cheapest, cheapest chips. Yeah. Uh, like I think it was a testimony of Mez McConnell who was one of them. Yep. You buy 250 of them, you give them free to the congregation and they give them away. That was, yeah. that was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and people really, folk do not put books in the bin. No. You know, no. I'll, you know I'll, I'll put my Iceland pamphlet in, in, in the bin, I'll put my Labour Party one in the bin, but never a book. Yeah. There's something almost yeah. sacred about a book, isn't there? There is. And it goes back to your earlier question of, you know, why are books kind of still going on? It's There is there's something about it. Also, you just never know where it'll go. It's a bit like a dandelion seed. The, the spirit could just pick it up and move. We know of people who have been converted having uh, either stolen a book or picked it up in, say, like a charity shop. Well, that was never its intended place. And yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
moved it just to the right place and pers persons bought it and read it. Yeah, I just think be as liberal as possible. I, and I mean this with all sincerity. If people are listening and just think, oh, our church is small or we don't have the budget, please just write to us. We joke about this kind of somebody else will pay for it. In God's economy, somebody else does pay for it. So just please write to us. We would send you some free stuff. We just do it on the condition that it's read. We do, I, I'm against just giving away books, kind of everyone comes to a conference, everyone gets five books. Most of them just are not read like that. But if people say, look, we love this book, we really believe in it on the promise that you uh, read it, or at least read one chapter is often what I'll say, take it. And, uh, and it's paid for. And we'd love to do that from 10 of those. We, yeah, yeah, we want to get it down there. Because I, I said, I mean, you know, the Ethiopian, you know, probably, you know, went to this convention down in Jerusalem and then, I don't know, Zebedee Carswell was there, logging <laughs> off scrolls of Isaiah, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and he buys one and he's reading it on the way home, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, yeah, let's be really generous with it and, um, and, and give it out and then be praying. We, we often say, give it prayerfully and cheerfully. It's amazing how many people then will read it. Jonathan, that's a great place to, to end. Um, to our, our listeners, our viewers, please, you know, consider the ministry of books, that image of seed being sown. Get on a 10 of those website. You don't need to buy 10, you can buy one. Um, you don't even need to pay for it, but yeah, most, that's true. Most, yeah. most of our listeners can well afford to, to, to pay, so that's not a problem. Jonathan, we um, enjoyed our conversation. We look forward to seeing you again. Thank you for coming, and we wish you every blessing. Bless you. Thanks so much. Thank you.